Scripture this morning comes from Hebrews chapter 10, verses 19 through 25. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Some of the most powerful memories I have in my walk with the Lord have been times of worship times of coming into a place like this or a place unlike this in worshiping the Lord. I remember years ago when the Promise Keepers movement was um, at its peak that I attended a Promise Keepers meeting in Columbia, South Carolina. There were 47,000 men there that morning And on that morning, as we gathered in that stadium, the first thing we did at 8 o'clock that morning, all of us men, was to sing, holy, holy, holy. I still remember the sound uh, of that song reverberating through that stadium that day. Um, I have been privileged to see God work and move in some pretty remarkable ways. I remember taking a group of students to uh, Caswell, a youth camp. It was a Tuesday night and Clayton King was speaking that week. He was the camp speaker. And he got up that night and on that night he said he didn't feel free to speak. That Maybe the Lord wanted to do something outside of his scheduled preaching. And so he didn't speak, and that night, I think for two hours, people simply walked down the aisle and gave their lives to Jesus Christ. It was incredible as God worked and moved and changed lives. It was a week ago Wednesday night here at a first Wednesday service that I came, and on those nights, I had very little to lead in a service, and so I sat here, and Alex preached. The music was incredible. People walked into the waters of baptism, and the Spirit filled this room. Uh, Those moments of corporate worship are a gift, aren't they? We get to worship. We don't have to. And if we, or when we talk about church, we can't without talking about worship. Uh, The church, uh, one of its primary functions is to come together for this purpose. And so with this sermon, we'll look at why we worship and how. Uh, Why? Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain. That is through his flesh. And since we have a great priest 
over the house of God. Uh, These sense statements let us know why we worship. Now, let me give you uh, just a slice of background. The book of Hebrews is written to Hebrews. Hebrews is another name for Israelites. The Israelites had a form of worship that centered around a temple. And that temple worship was central to who they are, centrally located in the capital city of Jerusalem and central to who they were. They did not know worship apart from that. Uh, They learned worship through that. And so what we will see uh, with the temple is critical to understanding what happens in this text, a text written to Hebrews. Second, you must remember that when they came to Christ, it was a life-altering decision. Uh, Many of them lost their friends. They were ostracized by their family. They lost their businesses. They lost their associations. It was not a celebrated decision for them to follow Jesus. So who, who the writer writes to, the, the writer of Hebrews is unknown. No one claims uh, in the letter authorship here. When the writer writes to the Hebrews uh, these things, he's writing to people who have risked a lot to follow Jesus. Why we worship, he says, we have confidence. Uh, it's based on the idea, that word, of freedom of speech, Uh, Some have called it cheerful courage. We don't cower in God's presence. We uh, are able to come into the holy places. Uh, Now, let's talk about then the temple. And in life group this week, you'll go into greater detail and see the holy of holies in greater detail. But only the high priest could enter the holy place. And he only did so once a year. And when he did so, so the temple had three main sections. You had the outer court, the inner court, and the Holy of Holies. The Holy of Holies, a perfect cube, the room was, and it was cordoned off by a large curtain that was nine inches thick. And on the Day of Atonement, the high priest would take blood from a lamb, and in the Holy of Holies was the Ark of the Covenant, On the Ark of the Covenant, flanked by cherubim, was a seat, a a platform, if you will, called the mercy seat. And there, that high priest, once a year, would take blood, pour it onto that mercy seat, and he, by so doing, would make atonement for the sin of the people. That word atonement has a lot to it but to simplify it for you, at one mint. That sacrifice took a people separated from God by their sin and by a year's worth, if you will, and took that and brought them near to God through the blood of that unblemished lamb that was reserved for that day. Here the writer says that that you and I can go there. That's earth shattering if you're a Hebrew. Before Jesus' death, only one man could enter God's presence and only once a year. After Jesus' death, 
Any believer can enter anytime. Now, you hear that and you go, okay. You've never known uh, not entering God's presence like that, but these people had never known entering his presence like that. It's like going to Disney World. Some of you have done that recently. It's like going to Disney World and you are told that the park opens at eight. Uh, But for your family, uh, the doors open at seven. You get to go in before anyone else. Will you sleep in that morning? No, no, you're going to go get on the biggest rides and do the greatest things before anyone else does because you've been given special access. How then did this radical change occur? The writer answers the question that Jesus opened up a new and living way through the curtain that is through his flesh. A new and living way. So, so what you're going to see happen, and this is why every song we sing is about Jesus. This is why our first value at grace is Jesus over everything. Uh, this church and any New Testament church is not an organization, though we're operated like one, and though we dot our I's and cross our T's organizationally, the church is a place where a bunch of people who used to be sinners apart from God were saved now by the blood of Jesus come together, and our first value at grace is Jesus over everything. It is all about him. Why? Look at what happens here. By the new and living way, through the curtain that is his flesh, you're going to see the whole holy of holies replaced. All right, so there was a nine-inch thick curtain between the inner court and between the holy of holies, and Jesus became the curtain. He became the curtain. His flesh became the curtain. And not only did he become the curtain, he became the blood that was brought in. He became the sacrifice, uh, that sacrificial unblemished lamb. That's Jesus. That's what the writer of Hebrews will say. He is the new and the living way because we as Christians believe that though Jesus died three days later, he did what? He resurrected and he's alive today, right church? That's what we believe. So he's the new and living way that he opened up for us, a past tense, once for all. That word means inaugurated through the curtain. That is through his flesh. Now, what did he open up? And why is this so incredible? So I want to say something to us this morning. That I'm afraid in ways God has become way too small. I'm afraid the reason sometimes our faith falters is that our God is little. I'm I'm afraid that sometimes the reason it is so easy for people who love Jesus to sin like they've never met him is that they they view God as, as less than. So let me give you from his word a glimpse into this God who was in this holy of holies. And we get that glimpse from uh, the Exodus. And we get that glimpse from when they arrive at Mount Sinai. On the morning of the third day, there were thunders and lightnings and a thick cloud on the mountain and a very loud trumpet blast so that all the people in the camp trembled. Then Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet God. Wow. 
Moses brought the people to meet God. That's worship. Worship is not checking something off a list. Worship is encountering God. And they took their stand at the foot of the mountain. Now Mount Sinai was wrapped in smoke because of the Lord, because the Lord had descended on it in fire. The smoke of it went up like the smoke of a kiln, and the whole mountain trembled greatly. And as the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder, Moses spoke, and God answered him in thunder. When God shows up, inanimate creation, that is the earth, trembles. God's very presence results in an earthquake. When God speaks, thunder is his voice. The Lord came down. I love that, don't you? Worship is where we go to meet God, and worship is where God comes down, amen? That is worship. Worship is not where we come to do our duty. Oh, no, there's no doing your duty when you come to meet God. There is no duty that you and I can do. He is so big, we are so small. He is so great, we are so not. And the Lord said to Moses, go down and warn the people lest they break through to the Lord to look and many of them perish also let the priests who come near to the Lord consecrate themselves, lest the Lord break out against them. Wow. God dwells in unapproachable light. That hymn writer says, immortal, invisible, God only wise. In light, inaccessible, hid from our eyes. Most blessed, most glorious, the ancient of days. Almighty, victorious, thy great name we praise. Our God is too small. Our God is way little. Our God has perhaps in your mind been manipulated by you. That's the presence of God. You see, when the priest went in there once a year, he had bells on his garment, a rope tied to his leg, uh, lest he go in there with sin. And when he did so, die in the presence and have to be dragged out. So how do we get to be with cheerful courage in the presence of a God whose voice is thunder and whose presence is an earthquake. Because that's what the writer says. Mark 15, and Jesus uttered a loud cry and breathed his last, and the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. That's how. Jesus, through his death, tore open that curtain and we now get to come into the presence of that God with cheerful courage. Hebrews 10, 21, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, this is why Jesus is the ultimate. Jesus, this is why Jesus is amazing. This is why we can sing to him all day long. This is why we can write about him all day long because he's the curtain, he's the sacrifice, and he's the priest. He's everything needed in that holy of holies. He is the curtain. He is the door. He is the opening. He is the sacrifice offered for the sins of all of humanity. And he is the priest who offers it. So we have a door on stage this morning just for this point because we're not familiar with curtains as being ways in and out of places. 
was one day this week, I think on Thursday night, Allison Blackwelder lives with Wendy and me. She's our niece, school teacher at Old Fort. Does an amazing job teaching school, and it was her birthday this week. So when you see her, give her a shout out. She's all of 22. And so uh, Allison, uh, uh, Kristen Allison, was going to stop by and pick up Allison, and a bunch of them were going out to celebrate her birthday. We are having dinner in our dining room, which is just around the corner from the kitchen, and uh, we thought we heard a knock on the door. We weren't quite sure, and then uh, that was confirmed because Kristen walked on in, and when she walked on in, we said, Kristen, did you knock on the back door? And she said, yes, and we said, your family, like, why did you knock on the door? You've been here enough times, you just walk in. Uh, Our door, doors for houses serve two purposes, don't they? They keep certain people out. That's why you lock them at night and they let others in. When Jesus died, he opened the door. And he said, come in. No need to knock. It's open. Your family. If you trust him as Savior, you no longer knock. You just walk in and spend time with that God of the mountain. All right, how do we do it? That's the answer. Why? How? Let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith. With our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good works, not neglected to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, all the more as you see the day drawing near. Three, three, let us. We'll look at them. Let us draw near, hold fast, and stir up one another. That's what we do. Let us draw near to that God. Uh, Figuratively, that means to worship. Contrasted with God telling the people, don't draw near, Jesus is telling us, draw near. Let's come close. In Jesus, God came near so that we could come near. So in Jesus, God came to us so that we could get to God with a true heart. That means sincere, true to itself, no pretending. No pretending, no, not coming in here with, 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 no, 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 no. We just, just come as we are. You come with a true heart in full assurance of faith, overflowing confidence, not timid. Overflowing confidence, not arrogance, no, confidence. Uh, we draw near through the flesh of Jesus himself with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with water. So once a year we go to Africa and we serve 
out in the bush and we, we work with amazing people there. It, it's, just, it's just incredible. And before we leave, we have to see a doctor because we need to get some medicine because it, mosquitoes are there. All right, so uh, mosquitoes are, you know, they're mosquitoes anywhere they are. They're, they're stupid things, and they bite us. Uh, in Africa, uh, typically it's not a major issue unless you're there in the rainy season. We make sure we never go there then. But in Africa, if you get bitten by a mosquito, you are in danger of getting malaria. So what we do is we'll start a, a regimen before we leave. And we'll take it while we're, there, while we're there. And then you finish it when you return. Uh, that's one way. Another way is to keep your body completely covered. Sleep under the, the net at night and all day long. Keep your body completely covered. Uh, well, that's hard because it's over 100 degrees. So, so nobody wants to try to do that. It's very difficult. Plus, people just like seeing you. You know, they, they like seeing who you are and they like interacting with you. But what does that medicine do? It works from the inside out. It protects the body from the potential malaria. That's what Jesus does. He cleans us from the inside that's why one of our values at Grace is heart change that leads to life change. That's why even in 2022, we still preach at this church about a bloody cross and the blood of Jesus that saves from sin. It's, it's a blood applied that works from the inside out, that changes from this way to that way. Uh, Jeremiah says our hearts are deceitful and wicked. We, we've got stuff in here that if it takes over, we're in deep trouble, amen? And we need an inside out change. Coming to church won't make you a Christian any more than uh, walking into your garage makes you a car. No, uh, we come to worship because of what God has done in here. That's why that old song that I grew up singing, what can wash away my sin? Nothing but the what? Blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? There, there's nothing but the blood of Jesus. For my pardon, this I see, nothing but the blood of Jesus. For my cleansing, this my plea, nothing but the blood of Jesus. Nothing can for sin atone, nothing but the blood of Jesus. Naught of good that I have done, nothing but the blood of Jesus. This is all, the songwriter says, my hope and peace. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. This is all my righteousness, nothing but the blood of Jesus. Now by this I'll overcome. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Now by this, I'll reach my home. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Glory, glory, this I sing. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. All my praise for this I bring. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. I love you, church. I love you dearly, but there's not enough money you can give. There are not enough good things you can do. You can't go to some foreign country, spend every bit of your life there, and, and spend all 
of it and gain entrance into heaven. The only way you will meet Jesus, and if you're watching online, the only way you will meet Jesus one day is if the blood of Jesus has been applied to your heart and you have been born again from the inside out. That's it. There's nothing I can do for you. I can't drag you to Jesus. I can't save you. I can, there's nothing but one day, some, at some point in your life, Christ has to do a work on the inside that works to the outside. That is the only way to heaven. So let us draw near. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. You might imagine if you are a Hebrew, it's hard to hold fast. Why? When you came to Jesus, you lost your family. You lost your business. You lost good friends. It's hard to hold fast. But the reason is because he is faithful, the writer says. We hold fast not because we are unwavering, but because God is. That's the point. We are not unwavering, but God is. The draw of our culture is like a tornado ripping across the landscape, sucking everything into its path. I would say right now there are a few lies that occur to me that we are tempted to buy into. One, if God is good, I will never suffer. Joel Osteen perpetuates that message. So the pandemic then shows a weak God because I suffer. A second lie is what I do is okay as long as it doesn't hurt anyone else. So I can sleep with my boyfriend. That's none of your business. I can cheat in school. Who does it hurt after all? I can pursue a homosexual lifestyle. It's my life. I'll live it as I please. I can abort my child. It's my choice. It's my life. We're tempted these days to buy those lies. And the church is increasingly drawn off and we seek to accommodate rather than communicate the gospel. We cannot. Hold fast because he who holds you is faithful. Any of you who've ever had children know that at a certain point in your young child's life, they were in more danger than they knew. And they may all of a sudden have realized it as you were holding their tiny little hand. I've done this with both Hannah and Trent. And they may have gripped yours greater. But it wasn't their grip that kept them from lunging toward that car 
or kept them from falling as you took them across a dangerous place. It was yours. Hold fast because God is holding faster. That, that's what we learn here. And the final let us consider how to stir one another to love and good works. Not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. And all the more, as you see the day drawing near. This word, stir up. Uh, well, the word consider means to focus on, uh, to, to think through, to figure it out. Uh, but the word stir up is, is in in its original sense, a negative word. Um, the old King James, I think, says provoke. And, and provocation's never used positively, but here it is. It's grabbed by the writer and used in a positive way. Uh, let us consider how to stir up one another to loving good works. This means that worship ought to have both a vertical and a horizontal focus. Uh, in other words, our mantra ought to be, Jesus, I want to make you great, and others, I want to make you better. That's worship. Worship that makes Jesus great and makes others better. Uh, stir up to provoke uh, one another to what? To love. Well, that's so appropriate. It's Valentine's Day weekend, right? Tomorrow's the big day, and some of you are going to get chocolates and flowers and, and things. Like, it's the big day, right? Um, love. Is that what this means? No, it, I mean, it could mean, you know, make sure you cover. And so if some of you forgot, thank you. You're welcome, uh, now you know, and you're held accountable, so, you know, do something to love. But, but, but love and good works, you see, love without works is, is a feeling. And uh, so love and good works, meaning you love somebody enough to, to, do, to do something for them. That's church. Not neglecting to meet together. I'm going to tread on some ground that could make some of you angry with me. I, I know I, I can do that from time to time. And I, if you know me, know I never desire to make others angry. But the scripture says provoke, so I'm about to provoke. There are some of you who are watching online who could be sitting here in the building. You could, and you've chosen not to. And online worship is an oxymoron. I was away from here two weeks ago with COVID. It wasn't that worshipful for me. I was distracted by the coffee in my hand. It's just hard. Now, Inevitably, when I mention this, those of you who have to be where you are will reach out to me. I understand. I understand Harold and Margaret Grandstaff. I get that. I get that there are those of you who, by your medical condition, need to be at home. But for those of you 
who by your medical condition do not, I'm calling you out. You need to have a plan to return. You need to have a pace at which you will return. Do you know what concerns me? Is what your children have learned in the last two years. I'm afraid of what you prioritized. And you've not said a word out loud, but your actions have been loud. Come back. Meet together for worship. It was already a habit of Hebrews to do this. Already a habit of these people. But what would it look like encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near? F.F. Bruce, the great, the great, um, theologian of the New Testament said this, each successive Christian generation is called to live as the generation of the end time if it is to live as a Christian generation. Jesus is coming back, church. Amen? He's coming. And we are called to live as if he is. If we're Christian. We believe this life is a drop in the proverbial bucket of the Atlantic Ocean compared to eternity. I grew up in a church very different from this one. It was very different. I grew up free will Baptist. Some of you know what that means. Others of you who don't, I'll just fill you in. we, we came on a Sunday morning. Um, I, I'd never, until I went to college, seen a bulletin handed out at church with an order of service on it. We didn't have one. We went. And when it was time to worship, uh, the choir went up. I don't remember practicing. Whoever wanted to sing went up to the choir. And we'd sing. And my dad was the pastor of this church and he'd preach and they'd sing and we'd sing and and they'd just call on people to sing specials. I guess we didn't practice. Brother so-and-so, why don't you sing? Brother so-and-so, get up and sing. Or sister so-and-so or that trio. So, Church is right over here at Old Fort. We moved there when I was in fourth grade. And dad became pastor and pastored there for about a dozen years, I guess. A week and a half ago, Heath Ogle, some of you know Heath, he pastors that church. He's a few years younger than I, but we grew up in that church kind of together. And Heath is doing an amazing job. I'm so proud of him. He called me and he said, Jerry, a week from Sunday night, we're having a singing and I'd love for you to come. And I looked at my schedule, and I was preaching, you know, four times that day, but we have our five. They start at six. I said, sure. And so Sunday night, as soon as the service was over, I headed to the Free Will Church. And Wendy and I headed, and we sat down, and 
all a flood of memories came rushing back as I sat in that room. The choir got up to sing just like they did years ago. People just got up and the choir director just called a few numbers out and that's what they sing and the youth choir did what they did and then other people started to sing and and then I sang with the trio and we got up and we sang a few and then there was one I wasn't, we, we, we got together and practiced, but there was one I wasn't planning to sing, but they made sure that I had, did it before we left and that kind of thing. It was a wonderful time. But I remembered sitting there and I shared this with them. I had a certain plan for my life. I've told you this before. We've got a group of college students. Our next service will be way younger. So many young folks in here. And my plan was to be a college president. I was set on that. And I went to grad school at the University of South Carolina, and God got a hold of me in a big church of thousands. And, and he wrecked me. And then he started dealing with me about being a preacher, which is something that I, you know, with all the wisdom of an 18-year-old said I'd never do. As an 18-year-old, I, I, I don't know who I told. If maybe it was just God, but I said never. And I, I was, I battled it for months. Finally, I came home one weekend And my dad was no longer pastor there, but that was my church. So I left mom and dad's house on Sugar Hill Road that morning, and I drove toward that free will church. And that morning, on that way, I said, okay, Lord, I I can't fight this any longer. I'll do whatever you tell me to do, wherever you tell me to do it. That morning, I walked into that free will church. And when, and that's, place you can just stand up and testify that's how it worked and at the end of the service I stood up and I said the Lord has called me to preach and as soon as the words came out of my mouth I thought what have you done You're about to finish a grad degree. I had just flown to Ohio, interviewed for an assistant dean position at a college and been given it. I was 24. And I knew I was on my way. But I walked out that Sunday morning and there stood Albert Dale. Albert, diminutive man, didn't read or write. And he stopped me and he called me what they all called me, Jury. And he said, Jury, while you was preaching this morning, God told me you was going, while you were singing this morning in the choir, God told me you was going to be a preacher. I kept walking out. I got to the steps and there stood Paul Ray, an amazing man of God. He was known as the prayer warrior of that church. Tears were streaming down his face. And Paul said, Jerry, I prayed for this for three years. 
That's church. There have been weeks, days, I've wanted to quit. Do something else. Just like anybody would in any job, right? But I can hear Albert Dale. God told me you was going to be a preacher. I can see those tears coming down Paul's face. I prayed for this for three years. That's church. Lord, it is good to worship you. Jesus, we definitely need you because we're, we're stained with sin. But oh my, how you have designed us to need each other. We worship because, Jesus, you, you opened the door. And the way we do it is to draw near to you and to hold fast and to stir up one another. Now, Lord, truth is, stirring up is not always good in its feel, but it's so good in its effect. Thank you for the gift of worship. In Jesus' name.